I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the British Film Institute. I'm Henry Barnes and joining us from behind a cloud of ones and zeros, i.e. FaceTime, is Anna Bogutskaya. Hi, Anna. Hey. Anna, is there a spoon? There was never a spoon, Henry. That's a good answer. And I ask because this episode, the first of season three of The Bigger Picture, we're going to be plugging into The Matrix. The Wachowski's techno kung fu masterpiece, which is 30 years old this year, and funnily enough, a key film in the BFI's 90s season, which is running throughout July and August at the BFI South Bank. Red Pill was at the ready, but first, Anna, what have you been watching? I have been obsessively watching this show that is not a new show. It actually ended in 2017, uh, called Black Sails. It's essentially a prequel to Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, and it's a combination of fictional pirate characters like Hong John Silver and historical pirates like Calico Jack, Anne Bonny, Edward T. J.K. Blackbeard, sort of trying to create a pirate republic on the island of New Providence. There's a war coming. When the king brands his pirates, he doesn't mean to make his adversaries. He means to make us monsters. If we are to survive, we must unite behind our own king. We have no kings here. I am your king. And it's all the political shenanigans and love toys and kind of very, very violent wars that happen between them. But it's so smartly written. I never forget who these men are. They're not our friends. It's probably, and I know you hate it when I do this, but it's probably the wokest show I've seen uh. ever. <laughs> I've never imagined that I would say this about a Michael Bay produced piece of work, but it truly is. All the female characters are absolutely amazing. There's so much queer characters and love stories going on as well. And it's entirely built into the narrative arcs of, the, of each of the characters. And they're just beautifully written and consistent. Whoever arrives on our shores first, We'll be in for a most unwelcome surprise. Whatever you do, don't show fear. Captain Flynn itself, who's the kind of the main protagonist, and um, if you've read Treasure Island, he's sort of referenced as a sort of mentor slash enemy of Long John Silver. He's just an astoundingly written character. He just keeps getting better and better. Right, do you want to know what I've been watching? 
I mean, not really, but you can go ahead. <laughs> Thanks very much. I've been watching Dark. Do you know Dark? It's on our favourite streaming service. Well, Black Sails is on the rival streaming service. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dark Series 2 is on now. It is a German time travel thriller mm-hmm. about four intertwined families across generations who pop into this little cave and pop out some two or three decades later in different time zones and it's about causality it's about whether you can keep time travel loops working and whether chaos theory plays out if you change things gestern heute morgen folgen ich aufeinander sie sind in einem ewigen kreis miteinander verbunden it's like back to the future and it's like a Stranger Things, but it's much better than Stranger Things and much scarier too. It sounds like Primer. It is a bit like Primer, and but it's not like Primer in terms of that like Primer is obviously shot quite lo-fi. Mm-hmm. This is a massive, big-budget TV production and looks amazing. They've gone into the future in the latest series, and mm-hmm. their kind of depiction of dystopian 2054 is incredible. It looks like the road, but, you know, amped up to the nth degree. Diese Stadt ist krank. Und wir alle sind ein Teil davon. Unter uns ist ein Mörder. It's really great. It's very, very confusing. Uh-huh. Well, Primer in the Netflix budget sounds amazing. Nicht nur die Vergangenheit beeinflusst die Zukunft. Onto the Matrix. Meet Thomas Anderson, a nine-to-five schmo working a boring coding job in a humdrum city populated by sheeple who amble through their lives, oblivious to the system that is exploiting their very existence. Until he hooks up with a super cool group of hackers who reveal that the real world is just a simulation and life as we know it is a computer program designed by machine overlords in order to keep humans in line. Determined to fight back, Mr. Anderson becomes Neo, the super fast, super strong, super bendy leader of the human resistance. And lo, the franchise that reinvented Western action movies, spawned hundreds of imitators, and kept Camden Leverware shops in business was born. That's an excellent intro. Thank you. Hello. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Morpheus. Yes. I've been looking for you, Neo. I don't know if you're ready to see what I want to show you, but unfortunately you and I have run out of time. They're coming for you, Neo, and I don't know what they're going to do. Who's coming for me? Stand up and see for yourself. What, right now? Yes, now. Do it slowly. Anna, 30 years since The Matrix, when you first saw it, were you more, whoa, or no? And has that changed? I probably saw it for the first time on VHS, actually, not in the cinema. Mm. Having rewatched it quite recently with you guys, I realized that I'm, I've watched it a million times, but I realized that I only very distinctly remember the first half of the movie. I remember the neo-noir thriller. Yeah. I didn't remember all of the action bits as vividly as the narrative world building, you know, everything is a lie, everything is technological design elements of it, which I found really curious. And since then, talking to different people, it seems to be two movies in one where some people very, very distinctly remember the action elements of it. So kind of the action Western needs like tech thriller bits. And other people remember the kind of first half, which is all about 
building the world of the Matrix and setting up the characters and setting up the, the mythos of Neo and the One as well. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Which bit do you remember the most, then? I didn't remember that there was quite so much exposition. I have to be honest, there's an awful lot of world building in it, and it takes a long time for Lawrence Fishburne as, as Morpheus to kind of solemnly intone the world and the universe that we're supposed to be seeing. But I think that's probably because The Matrix was one of those films that it got clipped onto the internet when I was kind of myself a kind of office drone sat in a boring office job. So occasionally, I'm a bit ashamed to admit, I would go onto YouTube and search out Matrix fight scenes just to give myself a little bolt of thrill now and then. So it's weird. Oh I, think, I, I know. I think you're right that the <laughs> the fight scenes kind of stand apart from the movie and that they've become mm. almost like meme-like in themselves because of the technological mm. wonder of them at the time and the choreography of it. Good. Adaptation, improvisation, but your weakness is not your technique. The rest of the film is actually pretty dour and kind of slow, and I don't think that's watching through modern eyes. I think it always was that, but the kind of fight scenes were new enough when you first watched it to give it that pep and to give it that excitement. And I think that the idea of The Matrix itself is really fascinating and has spawned countless kind of tech bro online conversations mm -hmm. about the real world and what's real and what do you see and what do you imagine and what can you feel but at the same time the talking about that is not particularly interesting and Lance Fishburne great as he is has an awful lot of weight to lift to do this kind of very sonorous this is the world Neo and here is the desert and it just takes forever for you to get into the world but once you're there I loved it that's so interesting because I feel completely the opposite I actually I remembered it to be a bit slower and duller than it actually is right so the first half I was quite riveted it is kind of structured like a fairly straightforward noir film I didn't feel it was dour or slow at all. It sort of moved very quickly through the beats that it needed to move through. But it was all sort of tinted in this, you know, early millennium, kind of late 90s, new metal, latex <laughs> sort of aesthetic. Yeah. It's like a Linkin Park music video, basically. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm kind of really interested in that kind of late 90s, early 2000s aesthetic anyway, because it seems to be so hinted in the idea of what a cyber world like even the word cyber is only specifically used in that period of time totally. right yeah, yeah in it's like the cyber aesthetic where everybody's like wearing really tight latex clothing they've got like this crazy eye makeup crazy um kind of accessories and hairstyles that are all kind of mishmash and appropriation of different cultures and they all speak in aphorisms and they're all kind of on some sort of like I'm assuming because Neo is selling them some version of drugs, but he's actually selling them like mini discs, yeah. I think. So it's like some sort of cyber drug, which I found a little bit interesting on rewatch. I was like, what is that? What what do they actually do? Because they're going to the club with a mini disc and they've just paid two grand for it. It's probably just a really good mix of like 90s house and Big Beat. It's probably like, you know, um, a version of The Sims with some <laughs> modifications. <laughs> some extra leather jackets thrown in on top. Yes, exactly. <laughs> They're so kind of taking in all of the 
attempts at visualizing the internet that the cyber thrillers of the mid and late 90s had um, done less successfully. So, you know, I'm thinking of Johnny Mnemonic and The Net and Disclosure and The Lawnmower Man and a lot of other ones. And I've got a real soft spot for them, but still, they're not great. And they sort of visualize the internet as, you know, this big, gigantic mess of, you know, lightning um, that becomes the boogeyman in some way. Whereas I think the Wachowskis here are thinking a lot wider and thinking of this kind of essentially as what internet culture could become, like this all-consuming, aesthetical, but also complete kind of cultural mishmash of things. Yeah. And how they've then presented it in a fairly straightforward neo-noir narrative structure is kind of incredible. Even the style of exposition like there's such a godly way of describing these things that in a way it sort of communicates to anyone who is like you were had an office drone that was sitting there looking at videos of Neo fighting in midair. I'm so glad you used the to... past tense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be nice to. I've unplugged myself since. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you that, yeah, there is a real a glamour to it that still sticks around now. But also that thing that the internet world that they imagine, i.e. the Matrix, is this thing that they are desperately, the rebels are desperately trying to escape from. But also it looks cool, right? Mm. Like that is always the kind of paradox of this story is that the imaginary world that they've built looks so much glossier and glamorous than the actual real world they live in, which is the kind of nasty ship floating around underneath the post-nuclear Earth. Morpheus, the line was traced, I don't know how. I know, they cut the hard line. There's no time, you're gonna have to get to another exit. Are there any agents? Yes. God damn it. You have to focus, Trinity. There's a phone at Wells and Lake. You can make it. All right. Go. And films that came later on, things like Avatar, did the same thing. Like, if you think about James Cameron's Avatar, the world there is, is quite a grubby... Nobody ever thinks about James Cameron's right. <laughs> Avatar. It is a film with zero cultural footprint, Henry. His, his bank manager certainly does. Anyway... This the, is probably the first time anyone's brought it up since 2009. <laughs> the crew in that film, led by excellent actor Sam Worthington... Um, <laughs> Uh, I can't, I'm sorry. are in a kind of incredibly grubby situation and then the fancy world they plug into is very mm-hmm. bright and colourful and amazing and glamorous and I wonder if that that might be how we see the internet today that you know because we're in it all the time mm. and we build these kind of fancy versions of ourselves and they, the Matrix was quite early in saying that look we're all kind of unrealistically showing ourselves off to be these incredible characters who can float through the air and kick at the speed of light online anyway and then that led me to thinking that there's that key scene where Joe Pantoliano's character is deciding whether he should betray the crew or not and he says you know after years and years of living eating gloopy food in a dark spaceship I'd rather sit here and eat a nice steak. I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. I realised as I kind of head into my 30s, that's exactly how I feel as well. (laughs) I'd much rather (laughs) bury my head under the sand and live in the glamorous fantasy than wake up to the reality of everything. (laughs) I'm going to skip that. Okay. (laughs) uh, (laughs) 
you kind of touched briefly on a point that I wanted to make that actually the matrix is all about and the way that it talks about the internet and the projection of the digital self and the creation of the digital self and even about kind of the, the myth of the one and about Neo is it's all about legend building. Yeah. It's all about kind of um, myth building and kind of the creation of myths. So even the relationship between Neo and Morpheus is quite um, symmetrical in a way because Neo builds up as he's sort of, you know, bored out of his mind and hacking away or whatever it is that he's doing when he can't sleep. He's building up the legend of Morpheus, right? Like he's just imagining and really wanting to meet him and find him. And mm. at the same time, Morpheus is creating and nurturing the legend of Neo as the one. So when he's pulled out of the Matrix, the rest of the crew of his ship kind of already have him built up and are projecting all of these intense expectations on him as the one that will save everyone from the matrix right and then at the same time it's interesting that you build up mention the fact that they look so much cooler in the matrix than they do in their real gloopy world is that they also build up this image around themselves right they have this sort of visual aesthetic of the resistance that they build up quite specifically they give themselves like the shiny latex uniform and that's a way of giving themselves a uniform and a sense of being organized and a sense of being legion in the same way as you know the mr smiths are yeah and the kind of the, the robots of the matrix are all kind of wearing the same suit the same outfit the same exact kind of uniform the resistance is also trying to create that aura of myth and power around them through basically the sims creator that is the matrix where they can just <laughs> i mean is the matrix side note is the matrix actually just the sims the movie it might be the sims the movie but as you're talking you know what i've realized the matrix is about online dating what yeah it's morpheus and neo who found each other online looked at their profiles and thought he is the one for me and he's very attractive and i need to see if he's like this in real life and test him so it's all about these people building up these sexy profiles for themselves and then seeing if they can stand up to them in quote-unquote real life okay someone's definitely not done any online (laughs) (laughs) i mean speaking about the changes of the film in the last 30 Mm. years there's been a lot of talk because of um the directors the wachowskis both transitioning about it being a trans story do you kind of buy into that i think there's quite an interesting argument for it but how far do you go along that line i don't know what i think about it to be honest the argument that a couple of people have made is a couple of good video essays that we'll link to is that neo is in his role as mr anderson is underappreciated he feels stifled he feels trapped in his body and in his life and in the work that he's been told to do and nobody respects him in that role because he's called constantly by both his boss and later on agent smith mr anderson so they're not giving him the identity that he's chosen for himself Mm -hmm. and then when he essentially transitions into neo Mm -hmm. he is for the first time allowed to build a personality for himself and a look for himself that feels true to who he really is as you can see we've had our eye on you for some time now mr anderson it seems that you've been living two lives in one life you're thomas a anderson program writer for a respectable software company you have a social security number you pay your taxes and you help your landlady carry out her garbage the other life is lived in computers where you go by the hacker alias neo and are guilty of 
virtually every computer crime we have a law for. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One of these lives has a future. And one of them does not. So I think justifiably a lot of people in the trans community and elsewhere have taken it on to be a kind of this is was the Wachowskis talking about trans issues before even one of them transitioned, which I think is an interesting take. I'm not entirely sure how much kind of, you know, a fast paced action film crams in that kind of message too, or whether it was that intentional. But you can always read it back that way, I guess. You know what? I think as you've explained it, it makes a lot of sense. And to be honest, I don't think the genre of the movie has anything to do with any sort of reading that any mm-hmm. audience might give to it. True. So if trans audiences give it a trans reading, I think that's completely valid. Also, perhaps less valid. You've got some issues with how Trinity's treated in the film. Is that right? Okay. Let's pick it this the other way around. What did you first think of Trinity when you first saw The Matrix? And then... How did you feel about her when we rewatched it last week? I thought that's Carrie Ann Moss, who was in Memento, who I really liked. Yes. Um, and she's great in both films. But her role in The Matrix is to be steely, right? Until suddenly the exterior shell is ripped away and you see the kind of source code of her character, which is essentially, I've fallen in love with this guy and I need to love him in order for him to triumph and to realise his true power. Yes. Which, given the gender balance, isn't that progressive, but... I don't know, because she's quote-unquote a strong female character, sorry, but at the same time, her kind of, her root program, if you like, is Neo. But then that's the same for Morpheus as well. Like, the only person keeping Morpheus in the story is Neo. So I don't know how much the balance is between a gender thing or if it's a character thing that Neo is literally Jesus Christ and everybody has to worship worship him as such. I don't think that the same applies to Morpheus, because Morpheus is key driving force is finding the one. Mm. And it is implied that he has tried with other people before Neo and failed. And that's the thing that keeps him going. He needs to find the one. He wants to be the one. I know it's so much about online dating. Okay. (laughs) I will entertain this theory after you've been in an online date. (laughs) Sorry, you were talking about Trinity. 
Well, now I'm thinking of the Matrix as an ad for Hinge, and it's getting weird <laughs> in my head. There is a cultural legacy of her was that she's this kick-ass, you know, amazing female character. She's physically strong. She basically murders a whole bunch of people in the first act, and then throughout the rest of the movie, uh, kind of acerbic, doesn't say too much. She's like a Clint Eastwood in in the new metal world. Mm -hmm. She's got that sort of, you know, woman of few words approach. And there's obviously like a very strong attraction and chemistry between her and Neo from the start. Ultimately, in the third act, it's revealed that the whole point of Trinity is to just fall in love with this guy. She even says, I'm not afraid anymore. And upon rewatch, I mean, obviously this makes, when you're wrapped up into viewing the film for the first time and you're immersed in all the groundbreaking aesthetic and all this, you kind of can ignore that. Or when, you know, you're 13, you can sort of bypass that. But rewatching it again, I'm just thinking, why is the cultural legacy of Trinity as this badass independent woman, but then the whole point of her is to just wait around and her whole purpose as a character is to fall in love with this dude not to push him to do anything not to be his like um neo-noir manic pixie dream girl but just to fall in love with him that's all that's all she needs to do that's her whole goal in life as dictated to her also by the oracle which i found so incredibly reductive and kind of just laid waste to an amazing character. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the one bit of the script writing that is kind of buggy and needs a patch. Last thing we need to talk about before we log off is Keanu, obviously. Why is Keanu so good in this film and others, but especially this film? In one of the articles that we're reading for this episode, there is something about Keanu that works exceptionally well as an action star. He's, you know, not the greatest actor. He's not very good at delivering very complicated lines, but as an action star, there is an openness to him and a vulnerability that I think works extremely well. And you can see this in his other action films, you know, down from Speed to Point Break to the John Wick franchise more recently. There's something about him that you sort of feel that Keanu could get hurt, mm-hmm. which makes him a lot less mythical. He feels like a dude that's just been placed in a really over-the-top violent situation. And he'll be good at it. But he could always be hurt, whether you don't really feel that with other kind of larger than life action stars. And I'm thinking kind of like Clint Eastwood or, I don't know, Vin Diesel and Jason Statham. You yeah. know what I mean? There's a vulnerability to him that makes you relate and care for him so much more deeply when you're watching him fight on screen. You're cuter than I thought. I can see why she likes you. Who? Not too bright, though. You know why Morpheus brought you to see me. What do you think? Do you think you're the one? Honestly, I don't know. Oh, well, what's always interested me, fascinated me about Keanu is, like, why isn't he Ryan Gosling? Because Ryan Gosling, to my taste, has a similar 
vibe in that he's essentially a blank that us ordinary people can project ourselves onto in his roles but he is not sexy for me and he's not charismatic on screen Keanu has he really has a sexy blankness to him and I I really struggled to grab onto it exactly what it is and I think everybody does I've read countless interviews with Keanu Reeves Hmm. and every interviewer tries to project depth into his public persona when actually his public persona I'm not saying anything about him as a man I don't know what his intelligence Mm -hmm. level is or any of that stuff his public persona isn't that deep, really. It's a nice, quiet, friendly Canadian man who's extremely good at doing kung fu and other martial arts. That's basically it. But we all want to read. That is a great public persona. Well, it's great, but like we want to, we want to read so much depth into him. And if you look at how, like, when John Wick three came out, the explosion on Twitter of people going loopy over Keanu with puppies or Keanu talking about his motorbikes or Keanu getting on a bus to like an ordinary person or even sad Keanu from way back. It's it's this weird, very internet-y thing of us trying to create a character around someone who essentially has come up through a marketing machine that has built no character because they don't want to reveal their private life to people. Mm-hmm. I think probably his skill in the real, the real, real world is to professionally become Keanu Reeves and perform that part so well that we've taken on the part for him and built more and more aspects into it that he's then adopted into the character of Keanu Reeves. So I don't think we're ever going to know what Keanu is actually really like, but I find him sexy because of that. There's always the mystery. I think you've tapped into something which is that Keanu was probably the first celebrity that was memefied. Yeah. Like he became an internet icon. Yeah even when he was like not really a film star, when he was not at his peak, when he wasn't a box office draw. So his his career had a whole low, kind of post-Matrix and kind of up until John Wick, really. There was a whole bunch of not really extraordinary or significant uh, Keanu films, but his he continued to kind of live on as this, bonafide meme on the internet both kind of sat Keanu and anything else he does essentially becomes just adored by people online because like you say there is this blankness to him that might be designed and I actually prefer to think that it is designed by him that it's very smart or his team I prefer to think it's him (laughs) that he's designed this sort of deliberate openness because he knows that He needs to allow space for the audience and for his fans to project whatever they want him to be onto him. And that's part of his star power. Yeah. Which is why a role like Neo is perfect for him, right? Because Lawrence Fishburne's character is doing exactly the same thing. Exactly. He's trying to build him up. And he does. And he does. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone. And then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. And then everything falls apart in the sequel. (laughs) 
let's not talk about those. Anyway, (laughs) we need to leave it there. That's it for this episode of The Bigger Picture. The Matrix has been remastered and re-released and is in UK cinemas now. The BFI's 90s season, a glorious bundle of the most transformative, challenging and, it says here, explosive core cinema of the screwy decade, is running at the BFI South Bank until the end of August. You can, as ever, catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Henry H. Barnes and Anna is... Anna B. Demented. The Bigger Picture, brought to you by the BFI, is produced by our operator, Peter Sale. More of Pete's work at petersale.co.uk. Finally, your last line this time comes from The Matrix and is something Anna and I discovered about working together a long time ago. You do not truly know someone until you fight them. Obviously, I won. You did, long ago. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.